Welcome to the West Cheltenham Podcast. We want to see communities and places buzzing with the extraordinary presence of Jesus. Join us live on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30am. We really hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. I'm, I'm just at that age now where I... If I, do, if I put my glasses on, I can see what I'm reading here, but if I don't, but if I do that, I can't see you either, so um, this is, don't be distracted by my glasses, please, or I'll try not to be either. So we've got two weeks until Christmas, in case you hadn't noticed. The decorations are going up, have gone up. Uh, Christmas songs are on the radio. It appears to be a law these days that as soon as you get to the 1st of December, radio stations are allowed to play Christmas songs. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, So we're all getting a bit Christmassy. It's even snowing. And yet, this morning's Bible reading has got nothing to do with Christmas. And our songs have not been Christmas carols even though we think it's Christmas. It's about John the Baptist this morning and an event which took place nowhere near Christmas, the first Christmas. It took place some 30 years after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And that's because we're in the season of Advent. Advent isn't a sort of mini Christmas, Christmas with a small C. Christmas is very much in our sights, we can tell from that, as we prepare to remember Jesus' coming into the world as a baby at Bethlehem. But Advent is also a time to think of and prepare for other occasions when Jesus comes and will come into our lives and into the world. Jesus is still coming into people's lives. As the line in the Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, puts it, in this world of sin, where meek souls will remember him, still the dear Christ enters in. And Jesus will come back one final and decisive time, at a moment we don't know. As another Christmas carol, once in Royal David City, puts it, and our eyes at last shall see him. So it's traditional to include during Advent the account of John the Baptist telling the Jewish people that the adult Jesus is coming, that he's about to go public with the good news of God's kingdom. Jesus the King is coming. What should the people flocking to John in the wilderness do about it? How would you respond? Well, I wonder how you would respond, how we would respond, if we were told that King Charles was going to come to one of our carol services. How do you feel about that? I don't know. I think, I think it, frankly, if he was coming to St. Mark's, I'd be a bit worried. But um, coming, coming, coming to St. Barnabas, I mean, you know, show off the kitchen. I mean... You, I think we've shown off the, the, the kitchen and the toilet to the bishop, so why not, why not the king? But nevertheless, there would be a bit of a sense of trepidation, wouldn't there? 
Um, have we got everything right? Do we need to do anything more? Um, I'm sure we, do, we find lots of little things that we needed to do to make it perfect. Or imagine that you're the head teacher of a school who's just been informed that an inspector is about to come to inspect the school. How would you feel then? Would you feel comfortable and happy? Well, actually, it's a good, that's a good opportunity to plug that our, chur our, our church school in the parish, St Mark's, has recently had a Siam's inspection. That's an Ofsted, it's an extra Ofsted for church schools. And they got excellent for every category. They got excellent. So if you ever have any contact with anyone at St Mark's School, uh, do uh, congratulate them on that. But even though it was excellent, when the call came through that the inspector was coming, there was that sense of, oh, crikey, what have we not done? What do we still need to do? So what would we feel and what would we need to do to get ready? There might be a sense of panic about what still needs to be done, however welcome the visitor might be. Or, putting it the other way around, what does it feel like to be a guest, a visitor, coming to another person's place? How would it feel if you were the king coming to somewhere, or the school inspector? You'd hope for a welcome that was heartfelt and genuine. But I suspect all too often when a VIP arrives, the welcome is a bit superficial, despite the work that's been put in to create a big occasion. A few years ago, uh, Sophie, Countess of Wessex, visited the place where I work. Uh, now, I was on holiday when she came. I thought she might have rearranged when she knew that, but, <laughs> but she didn't. And when I came back from holiday, in the toilet, staff toilet on our corridor, there was an orchid. <laughs> Hadn't been there before. And I said, well, what's the orchid doing in the toilet? And they said, oh, we put it there for Sophie. <laughs> I have no idea um, quite why, why Sophie needed a, an orchid in the toilet. Um, but um, if that was the only thing that had been done to welcome her, sticking a, an orchid in the toilet, it wouldn't have been much of a welcome, would it? Uh, I suspect that, uh, that we did a little more than, than that and that she, I'm sure she got a, a very good welcome. So how do we respond to the news that Jesus the King is coming? Firstly, two ways not to respond, two ways in which not, we are not to respond. A couple of songs. Now, I'm, I've got a couple of songs on my phone and I'm going to play them on my phone and put the phone up to the microphone, Okay. I have done that here before a few years ago and it worked, so, uh, but if it doesn't work then we'll blame the PA, okay? So, uh, a couple of songs, I'll just play a bit of them and um, here's the first one. To... Can you hear that? Anyone recognise that song? Louis Armstrong. Oh, we have all the time in the world. We have all the time in the world, time enough for life to unfold all the precious things love has in store. Uh, song from which film? 
Very good. On Her Majesty's Secret Service, yes, the, the one film that, that had, the one James Bond film that had George Lazenby starring as Bond. And that is the backdrop to when Bond falls in love with Countess Teresa, known as uh, Tracy, played by Diana Rigg. And of course, they haven't got all the time in the world, because if you remember the film, this is the, the one film in which James Bond gets married, but then almost immediately after uh, the, the wedding, the evil Blofeld, played by, um, what's his name, Kojak, um, shoots Tracy and she's killed. So they don't have all the time in the world. But very often we think Jesus is coming, but we've got all the time in the world. There's no rush. We don't need to do anything. Another song. Anybody here listen to Radio 2? Yeah, have you? Or, or, or Greatest Hits Radio? No, you wouldn't. Well, no. So, uh, Simon Mayo used to be on Radio 2, uh, and, and he did the drive time show, so I used to listen to him coming home from work. Uh, and then there were all sorts of shenanigans at Radio 2, and he's now reappeared on Greatest Hits Radio which is really good, apart from all the adverts for funeral directors and, um, um, and, and, and local adverts like that. Um, anyway, he, he starts his show. He started his show on Radio 2, and he still starts his show off with this song. Let's see if you, anyone lives. Anyone recognize it at all? You're probably all too high for the radio too, aren't you? Alright, coming to the chorus now, which goes, enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself, enjoy yourself, it's later than you think. Enjoy yourself, enjoy yourself while you're still in the pink. The years go by as quickly as you wink. Enjoy yourself, enjoy yourself, it's later than you think. Now Simon Mayo plays this on the basis that it's five o'clock, you've been working all day, and now you can stop working and you can enjoy yourself. But I think the original intention of the song was basically to say, um, you know, you're getting on in life a bit, Time to enjoy yourself, because uh, you might not have much longer to go. <laughs> um, and there's nothing wrong with a bit of fun. There's nothing wrong with enjoying ourselves, as long as that uh, fun, that seeking of fun, doesn't become our priority and focus. After all, Jesus enjoyed himself. Uh, he went to parties and dinners, and he went to a wedding and produced the best wine anyone had ever drunk. Um, John the Baptist, I'm not sure he was into fun so much with his, um, but, but we can enjoy ourselves. But our response to Jesus coming is not, I'm too busy, I'm enjoying myself. And that often is the response. Can I just say, I actually did this talk at St. Mark's last week. I don't think anyone at St. Mark's joined in the song. I'm, so I do appreciate, 
I do appreciate that there was, there was some singing along in the, in the pews here. That was good. So the king, the Messiah, the, the person whom the Jewish people had been longing for for centuries was coming. So how would the people respond? How should the people respond? Not, hopefully, by a lack of urgency all the time in the world. Not, hopefully, by prioritising their own enjoyment. The people needed to make it as easy as possible for Jesus, the King, to come by building a road. As the prophet Isaiah said, and as Matthew quoted, get the road ready for the Lord, make a straight path for him. A bit like making it as easy as possible to drive from Swindon and Sirencester to Cheltenham. Straighten that road, bulldoze the air balloon, and let's have a straight road going right through so we can get through as quickly as possible. Of course, Isaiah isn't talking about a literal road. But God's people needed to act in a way which enabled the Messiah to come straight to them so he could come to them without getting stuck at any bottlenecks or, or traffic jams. So how were the people to get ready? How were the people to make that road as straight as possible for the Messiah to come? Well, John the Baptist said, get ready by being baptised and confessing sins, by admitting where they'd gone wrong. These baptisms took place in the River Jordan, a place, a river of great significance. Hundreds of years earlier, the children of Israel, who had escaped from slavery in Egypt, had crossed the Jordan, where they first entered and conquered the Promised Land. And now, the people flocking to John the Baptist went through that same river again as a sign that they were getting ready for an even greater conquest. But there was more to that, uh, to this baptism. It wasn't normal for Jews to be baptised. They didn't need to be baptised. But if you were a non-Jew wanting to convert to Judaism, you went through a form of baptism in which you bathed in water as a symbol of your impurities being washed away. But that washing was self-administered. You did it yourself. John's baptism was administered by somebody else, John the Baptist. It was administered by somebody else to the people who were being baptised, who were Jews, God's chosen people. Even they couldn't make themselves fit for God's kingdom. Even they couldn't make themselves fit for God's coming kingdom. Even they needed help. And that baptism indicated the willingness of the people to change. But then they needed to do so. And so the second way of getting ready uh, for Jesus, the Messiah, to come was by repenting, by turning round, by turning back to God. What were they repenting of? What were they turning round 
from? What were they turning their backs on? Well, we don't know what it was particularly for many of the people, but for those leaders, those Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious establishment of the day, it seems to have been pride. It was pride that was getting in the way of Jesus' coming. Pride that was preventing the road from being dead straight. These people were proud of their ancestry, proud of being descendants of Abraham, to whom God had made promises. They thought it was enough to enter the kingdom of the coming Messiah to be Abraham's descendants, but it wasn't. Jesus, sorry, John told them that God could easily create new children for himself out of the stones at their feet by the side of the river. And thirdly, the way in which they were to get ready for Jesus to come was by showing the fruit of repentance. They were to do something to show that they had really given up on their sins. Why? Because dead wood, trees without fruit, would be cut down and burned. That was then. This is now. Jesus keeps coming to us, even today. And he will come again, finally and decisively. And we can make a road for him in the same way as John the Baptist's audience. We can confess our sins. And if we haven't been baptized, we can seek baptism as a sign of our need for God and our willingness to change. We can repent by turning our backs on our sin. And like the Pharisees and Sadducees, that sin may well include pride. We may not be Jewish, but we may take pride in being part of today's religious establishment. Because, frankly, we are part of the religious establishment, aren't we? Uh, we come here regularly, most of us. We know the vicar. Um, the the, the bishop, apparently, the bishop's been here. I mean, you can't get much more re religious establishment than that, can you? Um, and we might think that that's sufficient for God's kingdom. Or actually, on the other side of the coin, instead of having too high an opinion of ourselves, we may have too low an opinion. We may think, well, we haven't been coming to church for long, and we don't know much about Jesus, and we've never seen the bishop, and therefore we're not part of the religious establishment at all. And then we can't have a place in God's kingdom, and we're not sure about accepting this free gift of Jesus. That, I would suggest, is a form of pride, just the same. And that's a form of pride to repent of as well. And... With Jesus coming, we also need to show the fruit of our repentance. Show something for repent that we've changed, that we have repented genuinely. And that's where the final part of this morning's Bible reading comes in. Because the good news is that we're not in this on our own. John the Baptist promised that Jesus would baptize people with the Holy Spirit. 
John baptised with water, which indicated a willingness to change. Jesus baptises with the Holy Spirit, who gives us the power to change. The Holy Spirit gives us hope because he's continuing the work of Jesus in our hearts and lives. And as the first followers of Jesus would discover, the Holy Spirit can produce fruit in our lives. So we don't have to do it all on our own. So the God who came to his people in Jesus continu continues to come to us today. One day he will come for one final time to unveil his kingdom in all its glory, bringing justice and joy to the whole world. How can we get ready for Jesus' coming? Where do our roads need to be straightened out? What do we need to do? What do we need to confess? What do we need to repent of? What dead wood do we need to get rid of in our lives? And what fruit do we need the Holy Spirit's help to cultivate in our lives? Thanks so much for listening. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, head to westchelt.org.uk or search West Chelt across social media. We love you. We can't wait to see you again.